Hello, and welcome everybody to our recap of Fantasy here on the RPG Academy Network. Uh, I am your host, Scott, and I am being rejoined by all three other of our fantastic players from that game. Uh, we have Calum. Did I pronounce that right? I probably didn't. Please say hello, everybody. Hello, I am Calum. The pronunciation was right from the Rollist podcast. And then we have uh, Chris joining us. Uh, did I pronounce that one right? Say hello to everybody. Chiss? Close enough. Oh, close enough. Uh, this is Chris with the Redemption Podcast. Glad to be back. And uh, Andra, thank you for coming back. Andra, please say hello to everybody. Uh, yes, that's right. I'm Andra, and uh, hello to everybody. Uh, all right. So uh, we're glad to be back. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, I think, start the the recap with, with just... Uh, Maybe memorable moments to try and uh, inspire our minds to, to, to recall back. Uh, I might uh, start with uh, Caleb. What, what was what was your uh, most? Do, do you have a specific moment of the game that, that figured most prominently? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I should have thought uh, about that in advance. I think the yeah, it was very dramatic when uh, Reese, my Amadillo, Union of Miners leader Amadillo uh, lost his team of hopping mice. That was uh, very sad for me at that time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the finale with the use of uh, Elemental to make a crane apparatus with a, a big skull of a dinosaur was quite cool too. That, no, no, that was, was that your ability or was that Andrew's ability? I, I forget. Uh, yeah, that was Reese's ability. Uh, we both had sort of summoning abilities. Nice. Uh, so, Andrew, what was your uh, uh, favorite moment from the? Uh, yeah, I, I did, I did. I thought it was dramatic when I uh, was nearly eaten by the snake. But I think my favorite moment was uh, the build-up and the final summoning of a wolf. Um, and that wolf. was, yeah, that was my, that was my phantasm uh, that I was. Uh, flavored as a, a hologram of a giant wolf. That's right, and uh, I, I do remember that hologram. And for those listeners at home, that was that was a pretty funny moment, wasn't it? That was that was good. Crash through the hologram. This that was subtle. And uh, Chris, how about you? What was your favorite moment, or do you have something that figures highly? I really liked how my follower uh, Booty, how he had the magic kung fu ability of just ignoring everything, and it would die around him. <laughs> that that narrative liberty that that was that was a, a fun way to just describe anything very le legend of drunken master sort of things mm -hmm. you just sort of wobble around idly and things destroy themselves mm -hmm. sort of kung fu movie but with uh, leslie nielsen in the main part <laughs> oh man yeah yeah the, the 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 man who knew too little is a great spy movie with uh not leslie nielsen but what's his name yes anyway very similar the weasel who kung fu not quite enough. Exactly. <laughs> that, ooh. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I, I think my favorite moment was, was I mean, uh, I, I thought there were a lot of great moments. The one that, that, that I kept coming back to for some reason uh, was, was probably the, the very first uh, moment in uh, any round. I, I think I went first in the very first combat, and I, I did one of those, um, what were there? There, there were uh, Two kinds of moves, right? Challenge uh, and, and, right, and check. Uh, check and, yes. And, and, and so, I at, at the very first uh, turn that I had, the very first action, I just did a check and I like circled a line in the sand in front of myself with my sword, like 
I like that that was two sentences and that was done. Maybe I keep coming back to that because I feel like we, uh, or at least I, should have done that a lot more. That that first check especially was really like, oh, that's that's kind of what they should be. And then in future iterations, we maybe spent too much time on checks, uh, myself included. Uh, and No check. I think we spent too much time when we did checks, and then we also oh. didn't do checks uh, as often as we ought to have, I think, yes. It's true. Yeah, uh, I think that's something we we all did. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if we should jump straight in that topic, but I think the way I see or approach the system, first of all, I really enjoyed it. I must say, I'm a generic systems are a hard sell to me, but I really enjoyed this one. I think it's got a, a lot of potential. There, there's a lot of things in it I really enjoy, but. In my future use of that system, I will try as a game master to encourage players. It's not necessarily doing more checks or less uh, challenge, etc. But try not to be so um, committed at each throw of dice to come up with a description which includes absolutely all the traits all the aspects, I think I would encourage my player and myself as a game master to come up with more things we just use one trait and that what mm-hmm. is the most common and things go a bit faster. And knowing them, that or that person, that character can have a very great idea and do something important involving more traits at once. I think each time it kind of drew me out of the game because as the other players were describing their own things, which was taking a bit of time because... Again, I think that's something we all did. Mm-hmm. I was not paying as much attention as should as I should have. Instead, I was trying already to I got the the gears grinding in my brain, like oh, oh, can I come up with something super cool when it's my turn? Oh yeah, I could do that. Oh, I'm missing that trait, etc. And it kind of pulled me out of the the action of the story. And then it was my turn. I said, hmm. oh, I described my thing, but or well, adapted it slightly so it matches the latest action but yeah it tended of slowing the pace and uh and and making things a bit too i don't know uh, my turn my turn my turn my turn mm-hmm. yeah um I, you know i haven't read uh all the rules uh, uh calvin sort of uh gave us the brief summary of what we needed to know and i sort of we i think all of us individuals sort of looked over the stuff that was maybe most relevant to our character um but I wonder, I know that uh, he talked a lot about the various sort of options that you had with the system. Like, he, you know, well, you could run this sort of game or you could run this sort of game. And there were some mechanics that, that you can sort of drop in and pull out. And I wonder if there's um, something like, I know I compared this a lot to Wushu, which is a, a similar but very different kind of game. But one of the things that it does is it allows the, the, the GM to implement dice limits. So you can only earn so many dice per like round and that prevents people from like like going on unnecessarily until you get later in the game when everybody's more used to it i wonder if that's something that fantasy has built in where you could say like in the beginning of the game in the first scene only you can only get up to three dice so don't worry about including every theme and every trade and every and it sort of would speed play up in the beginning until you are more comfortable working those themes and things and naturally by the end you can up that limit 
I suppose uh, they they do have like half a lever for that because you 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 as uh, when you're running it you control the number of themes that are out on the table. That's true. So if if you want to have your first uh, game with just uh, you know first uh, space has just two shared themes, I I think one might be cutting it. Well, I'm not sure I would reduce the number of themes because it's actually quite handy to have this toolbox available. But I feel it it removes this. I mean. That's really what I love about that system. Uh, maybe that's what we should go into rather than being too, into mm-hmm. too much of a specific. But uh, let me start with what I think is really the strength of that system, and it relates to what you're saying. Yeah. I always try, and I'm struggling, both as a game master, as a player, to bring back elements of my character's description or the features of the environment into the action and saying, okay, this thing, there's a... There's a chandelier, there's a this, there's this, uh, the place looks like mm-hmm. this. And bringing back this in the description and having my player do so. Fantasy does exactly that. But if you have several traits, I think you don't need to involve, if you play in, I don't know, Curse of Strad with description, you don't need each action to involve the chandelier, the organ, the <laughs> the the robe, the chain, the skeleton in the corner. No, it's okay. You can move from one to another. And maybe there's the skeleton in the corner trait, which is going to be used just once, but it's gonna the one people's going to remember or people know it's there in the corner. So everybody's kind of expecting, okay, who's going to use that and who's going to make it very cool uh, at some point. So I would not reduce the number of traits, but yeah, the the kind of approach you saying, Andrew, where you you limit the number per roll, I think that's the right approach. It might be in the system. So yeah, so that's my big thing I enjoyed about fantasy, bringing back elements in descriptions collectively. Sorry, Scott, you had something to add to on that the specific subject. Uh I I did. I was just gonna wonder if if maybe that's the intent behind checks is uh that limits the dice you just only get one detail yeah and if if you played the game like anime style right where you stared at each other for 45 minutes and then had one immense clash of action right uh once once you'd resolved it like somebody sapped everybody else's drama or somebody else had built up a huge amount then you did one huge burst of activity and that was the end of the combat uh that that might be a little bit closer to what we're describing and that might also be a little closer to the intention i don't know yeah and that check system works um I forget what what where I've heard this before, but that check system works for a lot of like interesting sort of especially one on one encounters like a a high noon sort of shootout. There's really only one burst of action, uh, a sniper mm-hmm. a sniper battle. It's really a lot of like checks of like mm-hmm. the wind and the the cover and things until you get the one sort of burst of action. So I think that that's a really good. I think you're right that that's a really good sort of mechanic to use for that kind of stuff. I think it also is is effective for other stuff i think maybe we just we were focused on doing the challenges because we were just new with the game i thought that's what we need to do to move the story forward is do challenges it's big and it's exciting yeah how about you chris what was your favorite part or if you wanted to jump in on this part well as far as like the traits and the scenes and stuff i play a lot of games where the players get to create those so I was kind of hoping, and maybe there are rules in the system for it, where the players can add traits to the scene and build the scene together. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I would use them for, more than mm-hmm. just as a game master saying, here are the traits in this scene. I would say, what do we think the traits would be in this scene and the create themes. them together? The themes, themes, yeah. Whatever they were. Because uh, players... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Caleb. 
Oh, no. Uh, uh, I think actually something not like we entered the scene and we described, uh, we included a lot of traits, but I think in the course of the game, I think my character did that or had an opportunity to do that as the result of a check. I think I had it something you, to the you, description. You, you of created a condition. Yeah. Okay. Which was was different from a trait. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and we, we did trip up on on the distinction between those a couple of times. It's interesting that the rules go so far as to call out like these should be written in blue always, and these should be written in red always. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's something that the listeners of the podcast could not possibly have seen at all because they did have the Google Doc open that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that makes the yeah the, the the poor studio audience. Although I think that hits upon another sort of stumbling block that we may have had with the with the game is that it, it I think one of its strengths is the sort of physical the physic the physicality of it. Calvin talked a lot about tiles and spaces, and uh, it's just something that we didn't have access to. So, for instance, um, Scott, your character with his your um, turtle who was both mm-hmm. mount and pet. Like mm-hmm. when you had the, I think the idea was that if you, you could separate or combine those tiles and that would sort of have given you an instant evaluation of like, okay, he gets his own turn because he's a separate tile. And when you did the move to combine him, you know, you would be able to see the, the points. The that drama he, tokens that are on each get, cause exactly. they're hard. Yeah. I think that was something uh. that we struggled with because we didn't have that physical movement of like, okay, mm-hmm. I know how many, where my drama tokens are and who has them. And mm-hmm. It could probably work with, uh, I'm not that familiar with Roll20 or other similar platform, but I assume you could code or prepare something in advance which would work like that on Roll20. But in our case, we only had a Google Doc page, which was already very useful. But yeah, I totally agree. Having the cards, pointing at them, loading them with stuff uh, definitely would help. And I'm, I'm very excited to try that later. If, if everyone's good with that topic, I, I would uh, like to roll on to uh, Caleb, your question of, of uh, was, uh, was, it was, it was, what's your favorite thing or what did you really like? I absolutely loved how the, the theme cards, I mean, their, their effect on the metagame was that everyone had the same vibe as to what the mood was, right? Like, uh, you, you, you know, you, you can put like high new desert. I mean, they're, they're a kind of atmospheric truths, uh, that, that can go into conditions. Right. But, but, but themes aren't atmospheric truths. Themes are, themes are like, uh, like end of your rope, right? Like there, there are a lot of ways to go into that, but, but it gives everyone this, this vibe. Right. And I can, I can really see in like different genres, like, uh, you, you want like a noir detective thing, the themes for that being really meaty and bringing everyone into kind of the mood. And, and since you play off those every round, also they're, they're going to slant what you're doing. Right. And then, uh, the, the fact that they slightly change, uh, between scenes, but not always, you, you might keep one or two and then swap one out with like the dead of night and you find a corpse in a dumpster or something yeah, at midnight. Like, uh, I, I think, I really like the idea that it gets players on the same page. Everyone's been at a table where there was at least one player who wasn't, and I like the idea of, of keeping this this core mood front and center. Something I love with movies is subtext, and I think this mechanic actually brings that to the game. There's a sort of... It's not subconscious because it's literally a tile on the, on the table, but it brings this... Uh, yeah, I don't know if you call that silver lining or, or you know, little tiny rope connecting everything without being mentioned uh, being just there and everybody builds on it and sometimes it's a bit wonky and wacky but it's there and connects things one of the things that i i sort of 
would would like to try with this game um, from as a GM uh, would be to really use the themes almost less as subtext to your point, Caleb, and more as like text. So you know, we had some themes that Calvin gave us, like dog eat dog and edge of night. Um, I know those were for the the final sort of setup we had. We had the wide open desert and high noon for that original scene. Um, but I'm imagining like using them even more sort of bluntly, like if you had a if you had a um, a scene like the big fight scene at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, where there are the lots of orcs coming to get on the walls when they're trying to get like having a theme that was just like it's a siege or like ten thousand orcs or some sort of overwhelming like, odds. Well, even I, yeah, well, I think even more blunt than that. I'm interested in sort of like setting the tone, setting the not just the tone of everybody's. Uh, actions but the goal of everyone's actions hmm. um and i don't know i don't know how that would work but i'd be interested in sort of trying that out to see if if using less so if the theme was overcoming the odds during the helm's deep attack maybe yeah so yeah less less as yeah less as sort of like things to play off of and more more sort of as goals or or um recurring actions in the scene so like survive the the sea of death coming towards you. Yeah, the sea of death is a great theme. Or or the waves of death. Yeah, something like that. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think I think that's more what I was thinking of it and less less yeah, less sea of death and more survive the night or sort of more blunt yeah. things. I don't know if it would work, but it could cuz that really would keep everybody focused on the theme of what you're mm. trying to accomplish and the goal. Cuz mm. that's where I think Sometimes as players, we all have our character's individual goals and we forget about them. And then we start thinking about, oh, well, Scott ran over here and his character, Scott's character did this, so I should go do that. But you forgot that you started the scene off with a different mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. That would really keep everybody focused on the, the goal. I guess as long as there are different ways to play off and interpret that, right? It, it, I, I gather that scenes get really stale if there's only one way to play off of a theme of, of the scene, and so everyone just keeps cranking that same lever. I also stare off into the sunny desert. <laughs> I think, actually, going even further in that idea of moving away from the abstraction and interpretation bit of the trait, you could even go with a list describing the physicality of a space, you know, it would not be concept like under siege or etc. It could be like there's a table, the ground is slippery, etc. So it could become this thing, which is this environment, which is shared by the characters. And you make this list, which is something which encourage everybody to come up with those physical elements. So they're really not that abstract at all and not open to description but they're there and they can be changed. And to go back to the chandeliers, okay, there's a big chandelier and there's the tile on the, the table, uh, I mean, on the, the actual table with the players. And there's a player saying, okay, I jump to the chandelier and I use it to swing like Tarzan across the room. Okay, you do that. And then the game master maybe says, okay, now, but the chandelier, it's got a weak point because with your weight, so you jumped away from it, it's fine, it's still hanging, but that chandelier is wobbly and about to fall and the tile is changed to that and a couple of players do their thing and maybe the game master or somebody else later or like you know the final health point of your big enemy and the player says i look at him and i throw a dagger and the chandelier falls onto him and that's how you you finish him 
So I think I think there's some overlap there, and I think we we came across this a number of times in the in the playtest or not playtest in the uh, in the game. Um, of there's some overlap there with conditions because like those first things you described, Calum, like a uh, um, slippery or or um, I forget what the other ones you said. Those are those are there's a chandelier, there's a piano in the yeah, corner. Yeah, physical physical things that exist in the space that are not not themes or goals that are just just descriptions of the area. Those are supposed to be what conditions are, but I think where we stumbled was that you don't play off of the conditions. Like, as a player, you would never, for this uh, Fantasia, you would never, if there was a condition that said wobbly chandelier, you wouldn't say, I jump up on the chandelier and bring it crashing down. You wouldn't, like, I mean, you could, but you wouldn't be if, invoking if you were compelling a condition. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be, it would be, you would sort of, you would, if someone, if another character was like, I walk under the chandelier to get to your character and try and stab them, then you could force a condition of the chandelier to try and impede them uh, if i recall correctly mm-hmm. uh, yeah you would you would my impression of that is is also that you can uh if 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 you can conceivably argue that you've uh right a, a check can be used to uh increase your own drama we yep. should definitely talk about drama points because i think that's incredible or uh they can use to uh create a race or force a condition you create a condition right. if, if you wanted to take down the chandelier we all kind of tertiarily understood there's a chandelier and now you're like i'm gonna crash it down in front of us give us a defensive barrier then you'd use it and create that that condition right um a race if if uh right that that runaway motorcycle which was hilarious and absurd and i loved it you're just like i'm gonna get on that motorcycle and then i'm gonna you know tackle somebody or now i have like a movement benefit or something maybe you remove that condition um but uh, the third one of, of uh, yeah, forcing the condition is, is any time that, that that condition could conceivably uh, remove the drama of, of somebody, right? Uh, yeah, their, their advance is significantly hampered by the slippery floor or other sorts of things. So I, I think, I suspect that, that, that there, at, le- at least I recall Calvin giving us pretty broad ability to force conditions against people and remove their drama. And I think that we really in the first in the first scene we really struggled to use those conditions. But by the end of mm-hmm. it, I think we were doing a better job. We had the mm-hmm. the traps and the tight quarters and the um, that we sort of used to to strip the drama away from the big ram, uh, the big horn ram. It was it's it's interesting how uh, you can build up your drama all you want ten dice fifteen dice, but that's maybe not going to help you if if the enemy still has five and if if they're going to roll a ten. That that's that's that right. You you guys are just going to clash. It was fascinating to hear Calvin give a, a side comment about that. That if that if uh you know in in like anime style games, the two of you have built up so much drama, you just like peace out, see you later. We're going to meet each other again. Where one of us is caught by surprise on the toilet, and it's not a dramatic moment. And I come in screaming with the like the hell's angels behind me and like wings. Then uh, with 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 all this drama that's built up, that's visible in the universe, that, <laughs> then that's going to be a one sided fight when I that I can win. But at this point, neither of us are going to. That's anyway. I think it's a bit of a case. Well, first of all, uh, I feel I'm guilty of not having read the rules more thoroughly ahead of time uh, because I I mixed up the, a lot of things. I, I'm not a I tend to be a bit uh, not not dismissive. Uh, uh, rules are very important for me, but I tend to to fudge a lot. And what I think is the case with Trial of Fantasy, I got the same with Dungeon World, is that they they might be described. Oh, it's simpler because you don't have to do math, etc. 
actually these are very rich and complex systems which are very very interesting but you need to you need to master them and have a level of system mastery quite significant Mm-hmm. to really uh, you know do them justice uh, understanding uh, th- there's a huge gulf between knowing the rules and knowing how to apply the rules yes i think i think that we struggled with both of those and <laughs> which is which is a shame because the rules that we had the, the only rules that we really needed were just the check and challenge rules like themes and conditions were you know themes are pretty simple um, we had the rules we needed for our characters, like my power, um, my phantasm power. I think that we still struggled a little bit there. There were some things that we, I think Caleb and I both had some confusion about our two sort of weirder powers. I basically never used my powers. I, I feel like powers are pretty optional. Yeah, yeah. So like, if you even if you like had um, sort of simpler powers or abilities or, or none at all, you, you could play with just traits. I think you really just need to know how checks and challenges and conditions work. And I think we just struggled with those three rules of mm-hmm. uh, until the very end of even of how, what, when should I do a check and what should I do with a check and, and how good is a challenge? What, what is a challenge good for? Cause I think for me, what, what I think I would have been better off doing, cause my character was not, I was not, I deliberately built a character that was not like a warrior. I had, I, of course I would have to be, I mean, all the characters are equally sort of competent in combat because there's no skills. There's no combat related skills. You you just have traits and you have abilities. So I think for me, it would have been better for me to use my turns performing checks. And then since you, when an enemy challenges you, you get that, you get to roll dice and do like a counterattack as well. I think that would have been better for me, both mechanically and thematically, because I would have been building up drama points through my checks, which is gives me more dice when I'm doing a challenge. And then I could have, you know, had my had had more interesting things happen with the challenges of like, oh, well, I've set up this trap, luckily, or I stumble around like Mr. Magoo and they happen to hurt themselves sort of in the theme of uh, the booty managed to pull off. But uh... <laughs> booty. Well, I think part of that is just as a group, we didn't know how the game plays, so we didn't really understand our individual roles. Like my character with the toughness. I should have been the one running forward doing all the challenges right away and let you guys do the checks to build up your drama tokens to kind of do the final blows, so to speak. And yeah, and we could actually... Been... Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I was going to say, to your point, I was going to follow in. And you, you know, we could have been uh, forcing conditions on the enemies and lowering their drama and making it easier for you to do those challenges and sort of beat them down. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just fell into that we don't know what each other's roles really are and we created characters that we all had these really big personalities and we just didn't know how to really apply them to the mechanics. Yeah, we, we, uh, when you're not super familiar with the system, strategy uh, is, is not something that, that can immediately be uh, pulled out, right? So we, we just did made random choices. We didn't know like, oh. It's almost like we were strangers who had to become friends. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Go ahead and take your die for that, Caleb, and just add that to your next roll. Yes. Yes, I, I will say I loved, I loved that 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 as a DM you could set just the the theme or tone of of like you guys are now going to become friends. How many D and D tavern brawls could that have saved on a first adventure where a couple players are jerks and they made characters? You know, there was no session zero. They made characters on their own. They show up. They're completely antithetical to each other. Like some crap starts. <laughs> I'm a lone like, wolf. No, no. 
I'm also a lone wolf. We're all four lone wolves <laughs> who have no reason to help or trust or work together. I'm very competitive as a lone wolf. I'm the lonest wolfest one, and I will demonstrate <laughs> that at every conceivable moment. <laughs> it's great because, you know, I keep hearing on, on shows advising how to master stuff like uh, Mr. Rick talking about doing upbeats, downbeats, investigation beats, etc. But in your traits or conditions, because I mix them up, you could set something which is more downbeat and rather than have to sort of pull it out out of your hat as a game master, have the players build it. Because I definitely agree with the tavern thing. Oh, okay. The point of that scene is that you become friends and you can create the most antagonistic characters just like a writer would do your players, I think, could come with reason to becoming friends. But you could do the opposite. You could have a very binded group they had a big celebration, it was nice, and you think, you know, dramatically it would be interesting if something was happening here. Yeah, the theme is like drive a wedge. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's, that, that may get, get back to Andrew's point of, of having a goal. That was a really big goal. Yeah, very true. I think that was, a, that was a good point. That theme was both a theme and also a goal for us. I think that, yeah, I think that's a good example of what I, what I would do, what I would want to try. Um, but Scott, you said uh, we should talk about drama points, and I really think we should because... They were good, but also I was a little confused by the sort of description that Calvin gave. So I don't know if... I, I read through a lot of the examples in the book, and uh, I, I will say that uh, my favorite thing about the rulebook so far is that it, it gives the simple rules basically on a couple of pages, and I read back and forth those a couple of times, like, why well, it's the rest of the book? And a lot of the rest of the book that I kept pulling through, I mean, the, the back is all the description of your powers, right? Which is like spells, right? That's big. But uh, the, the next, like, 20 pages of the book are basically examples on of play, uh, of, of how to use the rules and how players, you know, just, just quote, 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 quote. They'll do an entire page of one combat scene, right? And uh, that helped. So it's Japanese style then, uh, with playbooks then. Oh yeah, maybe so. I haven't I haven't read many Japanese playbooks, but apparently uh, I should. that's a thing where you've got uh, the first part is there's an excellent video. I think it's by the the people doing uh, Shinobigami on YouTube. He explains that. So playbooks in Japan apparently you have the first part, which is a actual play, but describing everything, even the out of character things. And then you've got the rule section following and the side of the pages are even a different color. So you, you can tell just holding the book how much there is. And apparently uh, it's a bit of a side note, but apparently the idea is that you read the first bit, you read the game or it went while you're commuting. And when you're back home, if you liked it, then you read the rules and you can uh, apply them. Uh, I really recommend this video. I, I will look at the, the yeah. details. Yeah, interesting. Well, we'll, we'll... Oh, uh, I was going to say uh, Shinobagami is a fun game, but we should talk about other games on the yes. recap yeah. of Fantaji. So, uh, oh, Chris, did you have something to say about drama? Uh, I was still trying to figure out how to generate them. I understood it was checks, but it was much easier for me to use my traits and do challenges. So I think not really understanding the point of them and how to build them up was a little confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here, and uh, I think it's it goes back to the idea of uh, the physicality also, and the tiles, and having visual aids would have helped uh, because uh, yeah, having, was... having a stack of tokens on the bad guys, no stack of tokens on you, that would necessarily be intimidating. Yeah, and I think that that sort of 
wraps around to maybe that's where my confusion was of Chris saying, uh, or sorry, Chris, uh, of Calvin saying um, that the drama was not a meta meta fiction element. It was an in fiction yeah. element. And yeah. for something like, and that's where I, that's where a lot of my confusion lay was like for something like, yeah. like an anime, like the shown anime, mm-hmm. especially like Dragon Ball Z or even Sailor Moon, where you can like see people's auras and like, Oh, look how powerful he is. His power level is extremely high. Um, I think that would make sense, but in a game like, like that we had, like, how would you tell how, how, what's the in-game physical representation of drama for like a desert hare with a big sword? Well, I, and I, I think, think we, oh, know, they, 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 I swear they had like a, a, a noir example, uh, in the book. And if not, it, it seems really juicy to me, right? Where, where, where drama is, is it's not going to be like power rings around you, right? It's, 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 it might be that, that your coat is extremely wet from the rain, right? It might be that your shoe now has a hole in it. It might be that you're, you're carrying a tattered bit of stocking from the, 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 the dame that left you, right? Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's, 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 it's physical manifestations of, uh, like uh, potential for uh, change or for for great action, I feel like, uh, and I'm probably not doing it justice. But it's uh, and it also represents like your your readiness and like engagement, the the fact that you're uh, in the scene, right? If 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 you have low drama, right, you're being ambushed, right? The we, which is what happened to us. We were in the desert. We had no drama, right? We're just hanging out, picking stuff out of our teeth, or being hung by nooses, whatever you do. And all of a sudden, this this big like they're they're revving their engines. There's clouds of smoke smoke right their hair is billowing they're like yelling and charging at us like the, all of that is really they have a lot of momentum of dramatic action right and so i, I feel like in some ways it's it's a representation of like uh the D trope right you're 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 at a campsite in the middle of the night uh you get attacked by goblins and suddenly every player assumes that they're awake alert and fully in their armor right because they're ready to go I'm like oh really no you guys are all asleep it's it's i, I feel like it's an embodiment of, of like oh slap people awake oh like you know like torches we need we need you know you have to build up to engage in action i think there's a lot of that it's almost cinematography and there's different you were talking about noir movies depending of the genre and the trope it can be very different so it can be 80s tv show and you got a montage and that's how when you build your drama and you've got mr t uh, doing his thing and Annibal smith preparing uh, his plan etc you don't know what the plan is but you got the drama points or it could be uh, sin city and uh, marv is really hurt and under the rain and having a cigarette or, or whatever it doesn't have to be power crackling around you but you still have a number of elements within the scene when you watch a movie or even read a book there's a number of elements which draw your attention towards a character rather than another and if something else and and you can and you can feel it exactly yeah it can be very subtle and it would be very interesting to to try fantasy with something not anime and yeah very dark and, and different i'd be very curious to try that i think that i think that I think that is a, a that's a great explanation that Kalen that you hit on and that, that and Scott with that it's it's don't think for me I was thinking about it how can I if drama is represents like in universe something oh so you were thinking about tra- that's why you kept going back to traps I was and, literally and- trying to yeah I was like well what's my my drama must be representative of like the electricity that I'm building up so all of my checks to get drama were trying to like generate electricity. 
Um, whereas I think if I thought about it more cinematically, just like, hey, just what does the scene before, what is your character, what does it look like the scene before the big battle happens? Exactly. Because then, yeah, drama can be standing in the rain and lighting a cigarette under the, in, in the cup of your hands. And right before you know you're going to, you're going to have to confront the mobster or, or yeah, polishing your swords and, you know, practicing against sparring dummies or whatever. I, I very vividly remember uh, one, one of the examples from the book, the, the very, uh, one of the early checks that like the, the big bruiser fighter did was just narrow his eyes. <laughs> it was like, there's some drama. You narrowed your eyes. That's awesome. But that's a cool description. And I think in terms of in-world, well, I can picture circumstances where in the real world, you are confronted to situations or people where dramas being built up something is happening you see policemen running to one side of a street you you hear a noise or you are at a concert and you've been waiting an hour for uh, radiohead to show up and people are talking about radiohead was about to show up and then they stop the background music so they think, oh radiohead is coming there's some like oh is it now no it's just a sound test and it's coming it's coming and that's I guess that's what could be drama in the world also, but of course we, we play a game, so it's a bit narrative, so I guess there's always a bit of, yeah, varnish filter of, uh, yeah, well, let's call that cinematography because I don't have a, a better word, but it doesn't have to be uh, framing the camera and describing the shots, etc. I mean, it depends on what genre you are aiming for. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what we just described is stuff that happens before the scene actually starts. The problem I was having was how do you build them up in the scene? Like for me, taking a check didn't get me as much reward as being able to use all the traits in the scene and getting more dice. Mm -hmm. But the, the catch there is, is that, um, like that, that's one of the reasons I think that they have like one slot wounds, two slot wounds and three slot wounds is that if you don't have enough dice to, to beat their dice with three, like get three successes against whatever they're rolling, then you're never going to get that three-thing wound, right? So you could do you can roll challenges all day and not hurt this person because they roll nines and tens, or you get two checks and it gets, it's pointless. And, and so at that point, you have to strategically either sap their drama until they'll roll ones or build your own drama up until you're going to actually get those three successes, right? Uh, and to Chris's point, I think Calvin gave us the opportunity because, um, you know, when the when the, the bikers were running towards us, he said, OK, go ahead and everybody do a check. I think that would have been our perfect opportunity to do the the more of the scene setting. And I think some of us, me at least, uh, didn't still understand what was going on. And so we didn't do the give, take that opportunity and run with it like we should have. But Yeah, but like Chris said, that's a bit ahead of the fight. And once the fight has started, it the temptation was very big to do challenge, 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 challenge. And yep. again, that's yep. what I was sort of hinting at at the, the beginning of, of, of our discussion now, trying as a game master to encourage more skill check. And it's also a question, I think you're entirely right, Scott, that actually you you shouldn't be afraid of... It's not it's not D&D &D and I need to hit every round because there's this... I need to grind down that creature of its health point. But... I didn't get the thing of, okay, if I, I can let those characters hit me three times and I will be well, fine. repartee. I was feeling I was in the rush to do something to, to hit, hit, hit. If you are used to the system, you know that actually you can build up momentum. And it can be, as you say, uh, okay, 
exchanges of blades, uh, samurai style. Well, my character stop a moment and there's cherry blossoms falling down between two exchanges of hits. And, and you build drama and it works, but yeah, again, we were so drawn in it and not fluent enough with the system to know that let's relax and let's stop being two samurai just hitting at each other's <laughs> like Xanders and Harmony with their little puny hands rather than yeah build that big hit like again mm-hmm. it really goes well with Dragon Ball Z uh, you want to build the momentum and be protected why uh, Piccolo is doing his attack which takes more time than the <laughs> others etc yeah I really think that I think anime is a, is a really good match for this system but Kaelin, I think you made a good point that all four of us as players were just not very familiar with the system. I think it, I think that would have been okay. Like that lack of familiarity would have been okay if we weren't doing the recording of the show, because I think Calvin was obviously very familiar with the system, but wasn't familiar with the pacing of a podcast, I think. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to put any of the blame for this on Calvin. Um, But I think that that, maybe is where we hit the most snags was none of us knew the system very well. And Calvin was trying to teach us and, you know, teach us for the, for the audience as well. Uh, and all of us were also thinking like, well, we're, we're also doing this for the recording. So we can't, like the listeners can't see this stuff in Google docs and we don't have that physical, or we don't have that visual representation that you could with, in a physical space or even yeah on a on an app like roll 20 or a, a virtual tabletop of some kind so um if 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 uh if, if it sounds like it's our consensus experience that that we learned a lot about the system from the first playthrough and so we feel like we'd be uh the consensus i hear is that everybody feels like they, they'd be uh um there's kind of a general optimism that, that a second playthrough would be really exciting. Uh, what second playthrough would everybody uh, want to do? What what system or setting or what 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 would you want to try and where with which players? Where, where would you want to use this system? To be honest, I found our session a bit frustrating, but not frustrating in a negative way. Frustrating because, as you say, I think a second play would be much better, much deeper, with a better rhythm. But also, I really enjoy what you came up with and uh, what I build upon in terms of, of characters. Uh, it's a frustrating session because I'm like, I, I want to play this more because I want to find out more. about You, you want a second session? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have for it, I am. But yeah, but then, uh, yeah, I, I want to run this game, but I'm not sure yet with what type of setting. It could work with a lot of things, and but at the same time, it would be very different. It's very exciting. It's really, you know ticking my gears and I'm like, whoa, what what could I do with that? Uh I think I think I would love to run um a seven a seven samurai type game, a magnificent seven, where you're it's it's and and the great thing about that is you could do that in any genre. I mean we we almost had that going on at the at the la in scene three. It was like, well we're defending this village and we had this thing, but I think the whole buildup of like you have your you have your main characters, and you have to recruit the other you know samurais or gunslinger or Jedi or whoever you're going to have as your seven sort of warriors. And there's a lot of drama and a lot of social interaction, and you get some combat in there. So you're dealing with whatever the big evil government bandit threat is, and then it all culminates in you know the final scenes where you have the actual like attack on the village, and and so I think that would be excellent to run the system. I think that 
it would it would sort of use every aspect of it mechanically. Very satisfying. Chris, would you run Star Wars with Fantasy? That's funny. <laughs> Is Redemption going to move to Fantasy? <laughs> uh, you could. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> Uh, but what's funny is when you asked that, Scott, my first thought was uh, mm-hmm. the old movie 47 Ronin. W- w- was it 27 Samurai? Was it? Seven Samurai, 47 Ronin. 47. It was 47. Right. Uh, 25 wedding dresses. <laughs> but you, know, you could build up drama with the environment there. And because it is a much more serious kind of setting and your characters have very set consequences, it would force us to do more checks to build up the drama than it would working within the traits and themes. It would fit within your intuitive grasp. Doing a lot of checks would feel really natural given that that sort of setting or environment. Yeah, because it, it forces us as samurai with this intense code of honor to interact with people and interact before just pulling out the sword and cutting something in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 not a, it's, it's a one blow kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. That may be where we, with our theme of, of like Mad Max a little bit, like lots of action, we were all sort of, to Chris has said this earlier already, of like, we all wanted to do challenges. That's what we were supposed to be doing. We weren't wasting, don't waste time with checks. This is the time for challenges. And, you know, Caleb said, oh, it's like D&D. We should be hitting every turn. We don't want to waste our turn with the check. And I think it would have, we, we maybe would have leaned more naturally into like the slower pacing with the check if, yeah, like Chris said, we had a more deliberate sort of setting that we had created. But this was our own fault. <laughs> I disagree because think of, well, the, I think people agree that, well, look at Mad Max Fury Road. You've got this scene, which is someone's coming, they got a gun, they got three bullets, and they have to shoot at that. And they take two shots, and the scene is actually quite slow. It's very intense, but it's not explosion all over the place, people jumping, eating each other. It's just something Mm. coming towards you. So it for me, it works with Apocalypse uh, uh, post-apo as well. Yeah, not that it wouldn't work with that, but I think maybe, for me at least, I would have been more prepared if I had not been thinking, like, oh, it's going to be high-octane action-adventure, lots of racing and revving and shooting and zapping. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, th- thinking about the, the thematics uh, in... Think about the thematics in, in Mad Max, right? I mean, Mad Max Fury Road was a movie where the main character only had about 12 lines. And yet he felt like a full, deep, rich character I mean, because he had so many dramatic, like, like camera shots and dramatic reactions and dramatic struggles. Like, like the, the whole cage that was on his face for so long. If you're arguing that Max Rokotowski is the main character of Mad Max Fury Road, I think that's a discussion for another day because it's clearly <laughs> Furiosa. But, but Scott, what, what setting, what sort of story, what would you be interested in doing with uh, Fantasy in the future, hypothetically? Ooh, ooh, that's, um, you know, I, I, I brought up Noir. I th- I think I would love to do a cyberpunk noir. Ooh, I, I feel like this this would be my near future dystopia system. Blade Runner, you know exactly. Ne- neon Chrome and and uh, hard hit detectives. Yeah, that's. I'd be curious. We talk, we've been talking a lot about actions, physical things, but I'd be curious to see how the system and the the drama building, because we're talking about hit points and wounds, but. Because it's descriptions, it could actually work with social interactions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be interesting to do something less about fights, but about uh, yeah, almost a rom-com. I mean, we, there have been seven samurai, 47 running. I think we could do 10 things. I hate about you. I think whatever 
things which got a number in the title could work with Fantagy. Fifty first dates, twenty seven dresses. We're just talking about movies with numbers in the titles. Yeah, more seriously, something like Breakfast Club, or I don't know, something like that, or Archie, the Riverdale show. It would be interesting to have characters with traits, etc. They build up drama, and it's the takedown, which is a big seduction or something like that. By the way, I really like the idea of replenishing your health points, your curing your wood in the dying time, but still using those same traits. I thought it was brilliant. I think it's got a lot of potential, and I would be very keen to try that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed uh, how the experience was doled out. That like the person who played the most to this, it, it's another subtle reward system to like play to a theme. If you play the most of the theme, you get then a level up. Oh yeah. So, uh, concluding up, I, I think uh, we're about ready to wrap up uh, our discussion and our recap. So I'd, I'd like to offer everybody an opportunity to uh, jump in with some closing thoughts, some concluding remarks, and maybe some open-ended, pregnant questions that they'd like to leave for uh, listeners to noodle over. Or just closing remarks, whatever you uh, want. I just got a bunch <laughs> of stupefied looks. And... Uh, yeah, so closing remarks for me, I think that uh, I like Fantasy. I think I approached it um, from a, an angle that made it harder for me to learn it. Um, I think knowing this discussion has been very helpful for me. For me, and I think future sessions, I would I would be have a much better handle on the system. Uh, and I just want to say, I, I think I had a lot of ideas about Wolf that we didn't get to play out. And I think that's the truth in any one shot where we have too much time to build characters. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think uh, I, I just want to put out there that uh, Wolf's uh, an artificial intelligence and also a hologram and also a wolf. And uh, we can just think about that. Just think about where did that come from in the <laughs> Fifle Goes Diesel fur- Furry Road post-apocalyptic future past. Uh I enjoyed it. I liked how the character creation was done. I liked the charts that uh, Calvin used to kind of give us our different ideas for the characters. I thought that went smooth. It gave me a real clear idea of what my character was and who he was going to be. Only thing I would add in with the system, if I was running it, is there's no degrees of success or failure. In this, it's either you just succeed or you fail. And that's always... Or you clash. Or you clash. And that's always been one of my complaints about any system where it's just success or failure. I like degrees of success and failure. Ah, you succeed, but you lost your sword there, Zips. Ooh, which for Zips might have been a big deal. Mm -hmm. Now you have to go do something to get the sword back. Uh, I thought the system played real smooth once we got into it. I found the traits and themes real easy to use together to build up my dice pool. I liked the idea of using wordplay. You know, I liked it when, you know, he's talking about Edge of the Night, and I was like, oh, my character sees the moon come up, and he howls at the moon. Mm-hmm. So I used that just as a way to kind of dramatically explain something with my character. So playing on words like that, I really enjoy games like that. Um, I would like to play again. Whoever wants to run it, let me know. I'll be there. Perfect. Yeah, again, uh, repeating myself, but... Generic systems are very hard sell for me. I have no interest in Genesis or GURPS or all these things. I'm not saying they're bad. It's just not something I'm into. But uh, I find uh, Fantasy is very, very unique. I'd like to try more of it. I'd like to try it with different things. You know, if I had the the luxury of the time and uh, the resources, uh, 
I would almost like to take a, your list of classic role-playing game setting and try it on each of them and learn it. I think you can, it can be can become very deep, very rich, very interesting. Uh, I'm very, very, uh, yeah, I think I might draw a passion for for that system uh, if uh, the, the first application of it uh, that I'm going to attempt is going to work. But uh, yeah, so yeah, good work, uh, Calvin and uh, the team behind the uh, Trial of Fantasy. And uh, yeah, like Chris, I don't have time to master one, but uh, if anyone in the, the Academy uh, want to uh, make a sequel to this, maybe tell a bit more about the ideology behind my character, <laughs> which I hope did not offend US and other listeners. Uh, again, uh, I'm from Belgium and France, and uh, the similar words of uh, similar political movements uh, are not as sensible. And there's also a few references to a favorite movie of, of mine. If you're French and you pick them, please send me a message because it's going to make me tremendously happy. All right. And uh, rounding it out, I'd, I'd have to say that that um, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I had the rules for a, a while. I met Calvin at, at uh, Catacon, and uh, I think he's coming back next year for anybody who's listening. Uh, come on by, check him out, meet him in person, ask him all the questions you want. And uh, I bought the system there, and I read through it, and, and I, I I felt like I, I understood it, but I didn't really get a grip with it, right? The difference between knowing the rules, knowing how to apply the rules. And I feel like after this playthrough, I know how to apply the rules, and I'm also very excited to see it. Uh, something we did not cover with this uh, talk through that uh, character generation was easy. Y you just need uh, seven digits. That that's a the core bit of your U.S. phone number. The first three uh, give you what? Uh, leave off the area yep, code. Leave off the area code. Then you could or or any other seven digits. It was really quick uh, character creation and. Um, it's a great game with strangers to do identity theft because you can have their social number oh, yeah, or perfect, stuff like perfect. that. Just give me your social and that'll be your character sheet. <laughs> no, I, I uh, had a lot of fun and I would, uh, like everybody else, uh, love to get another uh, view at this system. So I encourage all of you out there to invite the four of us to the game that you're running because we would love to hear from you and, and hear about it and play it again. And uh, otherwise, I'd, I'd uh, like to thank uh, Calvin for all of us for extending uh, his time and patience in educating us about the rules and and putting up with us through our uh, the creation of our absurd universe we wanted to do this of Mad Max Furry Road. So uh, from uh, In the Name of Michael and Caleb of the RPG Academy as their duly represented appointee. I'd like to uh, say thank you finally to all the listeners for uh, coming through this fun little ramp up with us. And uh, yeah. Good night, everybody. Hawk bye. Good night. Bye. Bye. Are we doing that? That's just what I do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show 
and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.